The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Elizabeth. All right, we come to the end this morning of a six-part sermon series that we've been in, which has been really an unfolding of our vision as a church for for what we we believe a flourishing follower of Christ looks like. Um, And I want to go back through uh, this series a little bit because one of the things that we've done across all three locations is we uh, each preacher has had a very specific ask. Uh, that we've put forth to the congregation, something that we've said, okay, this is the main application for this sermon and this this point. Um, and so I want to go back through them because we're finally at the at the uh, at the last one. Um, the first week, the 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 ask was this, and it, it, so these are all under the categories of worship, connect, and serve. And so we spent two weeks on worship, two weeks on connect, and now two weeks on serve. And in worship, the two asks were this. The first was be fully present with, G- with the church every Sunday. So we're asking people to come, just come to church. That church would be a part of the rhythm of your life. And the second was be fully present with Jesus every day. So this is kind of the Monday through Saturday, if you will, um, aspect of that as well. And if, if you're new and you're hearing these and you're thinking, well, this all sounds legalistic, I, I hope it's not. You can go back and listen to the sermons where we flesh it out um, a little bit more. Um, and then we moved into Connect, and the first one of that was take every opportunity to gather with your group. And built into this was the idea that you would find a group, that you would you'd be in a smaller group of people, that you would have a handful of individuals or families that you would look around and you would say, those are my people. Those are the people at 3 a.m. if I need to call somebody for help. Those are some of the first numbers that I might call. Um, that you would take every opportunity to gather with your group. And then the second one under Connect was this, befriend and bring in people who do not have a church home. Uh, if you've been around Christ Pres for any amount of time, you know this is part of our heartbeat, is that we don't want to poach from other churches, but we live in a city that's growing rapidly, and only one out of four people, uh, according to the Williamson County Census, has a church home. Uh, and so 75% of the people out there uh, that we're rubbing shoulders with all the time do not have a ch- church home for a variety of reasons. Some may not be believers. Uh, some may not be, uh, it, it's never really occurred to them to find one, um, in which an invitation can go a long way. Uh, some are new to the area and just have not gotten to that part of settling uh, in town and, and uh And so this is for us, we want to be an outward-facing church that's inviting, a culture of invitation. And this congregation has done an amazing uh, job with that in our first year. It's so fun uh, to meet people and to hear the stories of, how did you find out about us? Because we don't have a big sign on the highway and we don't have a big billboard. We, you know, people find out about this church through word of mouth. Um, And it's been a wonderful thing to watch happen. Uh, And then, so what was next? Uh, Then we moved into Serve. 
strengthen the church by serving and giving. So the way we talked about serve um, is, is there's kind of this focus of serving the community of faith, and then today we're going to be talking about serving outside of the community of faith. So today uh, is the, the next one here, enhance flourishing by serving your work, your world, and people in need. And I mentioned last week that we were going to treat these two sermons as kind of one big sermon. And so I talked a lot last week about the importance of work and the relationship between faith and work. Um, And today, and, and, and how that's kind of the first great commission, right? The first great commission that the Lord tells to all of humanity, which happened to be one uh, at the time and then two. Uh, but what he says to them is, you know, fill the earth and subdue it, be fruitful and multiply. And he gives them dominion over things. And, and so there's this inherent call, even before the fall, to work. And so today, we're talking about the last great commission, uh, which is Jesus telling his disciples to do what was in the passage that Elizabeth just read for us, to go into all the world making disciples of all the nations. And so part of our service as a church, when we look at the life of a flourishing believer, is we're serving the world that we live in by being advocates of truth and beauty and goodness, that we're people who are bearing witness to the finished work of Christ, not just as people who are speaking intellectually about it, but as people who are speaking as firsthand witnesses to what Christ has done. Uh, in the world and for us. And so that's what I want to unpack today is this last great commission, um, this call for us to be witnesses in the world. And if you've been around the church for any length of time, the, the odds are decent that you've heard a sermon or at least part of a sermon on the great commission. And if you're like me, you might hear the great commission and think, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to be a witness for Christ. What does that mean that I, you know, leave a tract on the table at a restaurant? I mean, Nashville is a little bit, you know, we, as a whole, Nashville would kind of look down on that practice and say, we're, that's, that's beneath us. But what do we do? What do we do? Do we, do we, is the idea of being a Christian in the workplace that uh, I'm looking for opportunities to talk to coworkers about Jesus, that that's what he wants me to be about in the workplace. That's part of it, but also, and we talked about this last week, that part of it is also be a good worker, have integrity in the workplace, respect people, um, treat your competition uh, with, with dignity. And so I want to talk about this and kind of two things that the Lord gives us, that he equips us with to do what he calls us to do in the Great Commission, to be his witnesses in the world. And those two things, I'll tell you what they are now and then we'll unpack them. Those two things he gives us is he gives us the precious gift of doctrine. Doctrine. And he gives us the necessary gift of the Holy Spirit. So doctrine and the Holy Spirit are what Jesus gives us. And it's here in this passage. I'm a hiker. I love hiking. I, I'm, I'm the kind of, Lisa and I have a joke that I would love to hike the Appalachian Trail, although in order for me to do that, a lot would have to go wrong in my life um, for, me, for, for me to come up with six months of free time. Um, but I love hiking. I've, I've, I love distance hiking. I love starting at one point and then just going for days and days and, and ending at another place. I've hiked across the state of Missouri. I've done it in 100-mile increments, uh, and it just fills me up uh, to do this, and I, I, I love it. Um, when I was hiking across the state of Missouri, I was in a particular stretch where what it is is it's a, a trail called the Katy Trail. 
which is a rails to trails project where it used to be a train track uh, and now that train track has been taken up and it's, now it's like a hard packed bike path. Back in the day when there, was train, when there were trains that ran that route, right along the Columbia River, it's the Lewis and Clark Trail, uh, is, is a big part of it, there would be a little depot town about every five or 10 miles. And those towns still exist. And so when you're hiking, about every five or 10 miles on the trail, you'll come to a town. But because the train track is gone, they're like towns of 60 people. You know, you'll, you'll walk in and there'll be a sign on the trail that says, you know, welcome to, you know, Gore, population 57, you know. And there's usually like a convenience store, some kind of bed and breakfast or something there uh, where you can resupply. So you don't have to carry much. Um, but there was a particular stretch of this trail where there was, there was 20 miles between towns. And I knew that there was 20 miles between towns. It's, you know, I, re I researched the path and I knew. And one of the things that means is there's 20 miles between water. And so what you have to do is you have to make sure that that last town before you hit that 20-mile stretch is you get the things that you need. And I did, but it was also... 98 degrees, uh, and so I'm walking in this baking sun, and I get about 12 miles in, and my water's gone. I'm just, I'm out of water, and I don't have any food left, and I have eight miles to go in 100 degree, you know, heat index temperature. And so I've hiked enough to know that I'm in a little bit of a pickle. <laughs> And here's the situation. My choices are to stop walking, which is not a good choice because I don't have anything, or to keep walking in order to get to supplies. But if I keep walking, what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep depleting the resources that I have left, and there aren't many. And so I make the choice to keep walking because I know a doctrine of hiking. And the doctrine is... I will make it, it won't be pretty, but I can't just sit down. I have to keep going. So, so I, know, I know that it's dangerous. I know that when you start, you start to make crazy decisions, when you get, when you get uh, dehydrated and when you get depleted, and, you, and, and that's when hikers get in trouble, that's when hikers get lost, is when they start to make decisions and they're depleted. And I know I have to keep one foot in front of the other on this trail, and eventually I'll, I'll make it to a place where there's help. So I keep going. And I come to this bend in the trail as it's following the river, and there's a bench. And I see the bench, and I think, I'm going to give myself five minutes on the bench. I'm going to go to the bench, and I'm going to sit down I'm gonna, with my watch. I'm going to make sure it's five minutes, and then I'm going to get up and walk. When I get to the bench, I notice that there's something on the ground underneath the bench. Do you know what's underneath the bench? A bottle of water and a cliff bar. There's a name for this in hiking. It's called trail magic. It's a real thing. There are people, they're called trail angels, who perform trail magic. And what they do is they go to, it's true, if you're a hiker, you know about this. There's, there, there are particularly difficult stretches of trail, and they will get on a bike or they'll drive up near it, and they will leave supplies in the event that somebody gets, there, gets to that point of the trail and they're in trouble. And so I happened upon trail magic. I had the doctrine to keep going and the necessary gift of trail magic. 
that's a lot of what bearing witness to Christ in the world is like, is doing what we know is true and the Lord providing for us what we need. In our work, we talk about this in our work, enhancing flourishing by serving your work, your world, and people in need. What does it mean to be a witness to Christ in our work? It means that we're, more than, we're after more than just sharing Jesus at the water cooler, right? You're relieved of the burden of trying to share Jesus with everybody at the water cooler. Sometimes the Lord will have you do that. But that's not necessarily what the Lord means when he says, be my witnesses, He doesn't mean that every opportunity you get, ask somebody, do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? You'll do that. But that's not the sum total of what he's asking. Instead, it's to go about our work with people who have a doctrinal understanding of the importance of work. That work is pre-fall, work is something we're made to do, and it's something we're all made to do. And to do it well as people who are made in the image of God. And so we go about our work with excellence. We treat coworkers and clients in competition with dignity and respect. We conduct ourselves with integrity. We seek to improve the world through our work. We pray for those that we work with, whether coworkers, whether little kids that the Lord has entrusted to us and said, your work is here with these people, keep them alive. And we see work as an opportunity to enhance the flourishing of others. In our world, In our world, we seek to be good neighbors who care for others and the planet that we inhabit together. We get to know our neighbors' names so that we can be there in times of need for them. We bring levity and joy and a posture of celebration when there's something to rejoice in. We mourn alongside those who are broken with people in need. We seek to live outward-facing lives. We recognize, as C.S. Lewis said, that we've never met a mere mortal that you, everybody that you've met bears the image of God and they're worthy of respect. Even if they believe differently than you, even if they vote differently than you, even if they school their kids differently than you, even if they eat differently than you and live differently than you, they're worthy of respect and honor and dignity and they're worthy of your help in times of need. What do we need to live this out? We need doctrine and we need the Holy Spirit which have been given to us. These are two things that Jesus gives us. We see it in the Great Commission. They help us not only grasp the importance of enhancing the flourishing of others, but they also equip us then to do it. So not just like the Lord is saying, hey, it's important for you uh, that you enhance the flourishing of others. It's the Lord saying, it's important that you do this. And by the way, I'm giving you what you need to do that. So let's talk about the precious gift of doctrine for just a moment. Disciple making requires doctrine. A disciple is a follower, is a learner, is a student. It's necessary that there is something or someone to follow and something to learn, right? And something to practice. Disciple making requires doctrine. And Jesus said this. He said, make disciples how? By teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. In other words, part of your fulfillment of the Great Commission is being somebody who teaches doctrinal truth. And what is that doctrinal truth? Jesus opens the wonders of the kingdom of God to us. It's amazing. It's amazing. He opens the wonders of the kingdom of God through his word. He doesn't just impart information, but he gives us treasure. He gives us foundational truth for a world that is adrift. And so he tells us, even though you may want to sit down right now in this part of the trail, what you should do, 
And what you need to do is you actually need to keep going. And you need to ration your energy and your rest as much as you're rationing the energy that you're expending. We need to get this. Every true doctrine of God is made known to us by God. God is not silent. He's not distant and keeping himself hidden from us. He reveals himself to us. And he reveals himself to be all-powerful. And so we see this, right? He gives us this treasure beyond compare. If you're going through a time of trouble, you lean on his omnipotence because he's revealed himself to be all-powerful. If in times of confusion, you, you flee to his omniscience, it's because you know that he's revealed himself to be all-knowing, that there's nothing happening in your life that is a surprise to him. If you're, if you're in fear that your sin is beyond rescue, and so you then cling to the hope that is in Christ, that the debt of your sin has already been paid, a doctrine we've already talked about this morning, right? You do so because God has shown his wrath over your sin to be satisfied in the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf. Because God reveals himself as righteous, you know that you can't pay for your sins a second time if he's already accepted a payment for them because God is holy and just. This is doctrine, right? How precious is that? You may be a person who struggles with the weight of feeling like God is just wanting to crush you, that you disgust him. Or maybe you're a person who has somebody in your life like that where that's a constant struggle, and they just feel like God could never love somebody like me. And part of bearing witness to Christ is saying, let me tell you how I know God can love somebody like you. It is because he has taken the sin of the world and he has placed it upon the back of his son and he has accepted it as an acceptable atonement for your sin and mine. And he is holy and just. There's a reason why we can have confidence in his finished work. We live in an age that wants to diminish the value of having sound doctrine, right? I don't want to get into that heady stuff, that dogma. I grew up actually resisting that for a period of my life. I thought, I just want to have an experience with Jesus. I don't even know what that means anymore without doctrine, right? But we live in a culture that can sometimes want to diminish it because, one, it offends obligations of pluralism in our culture, right? Even this week, a Democratic candidate, and I don't, I'm not telling you if I'm Republican or Democrat, I'm, what I'm saying is there was a Democratic presidential candidate who suggested that churches that believe a particular way on a particular social issue should be punished for believing that. That's, there should be a consequence for you embracing a doctrine. Another reason is that having sound doctrine is work. It's, it's, it's not always easy to come by sound doctrine, right? It requires us to admit that we don't know everything. G.K. Chesterton is one who famously said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and then left untried, right? And so as a pastor, I'll get questions sometimes from people who will say, hey, I had this theological question I'd love to ask you. And they'll ask some, you know, how could a good God allow sin? Or why is there so much suffering in the world if God is holy? Or, you know, any, any number of question, questions come to your mind. And one of the things I love to do is I love to say, I have a book about the question you're asking. 
where somebody has given a significant portion of their spiritual and academic life to study from Scripture and through history, the thing you're asking, would you like to borrow it? And you'd be amazed at how rare it is for somebody to take me up on that. Can I send you an article? I, I got an article, you know, it's four pages, even still, you know. Doctrine takes some work. <clears throat> the gospel is simple. The gospel is simple enough for a child to understand. The doctrine of the gospel can be beautifully complex. And we get the opportunity to spend a lifetime of following Jesus, learning and unpacking and searching the scriptures to get to truth, to understand truth, to have that revelation of truth. <coughs> the study of doctrine is really the business of getting specific about God. That's what doctrine is. Studying doctrine is the business of getting specific about who God is as he has revealed himself. It's not just about being able to answer tough questions. It's about exulting in his greatness. It's about marveling in the gift of his spirit and worshiping in spirit and in truth and endeavoring to know your redeemer better. So don't ever diminish the value of sound doctrine. It's important. Cherish it because it's a gift. God has not been silent. He has given us things that are true. In this world, you will have trouble. That's doctrine, right? So when trouble comes along, we don't look at God and say, well, this is out of nowhere. This is, no, the world is like that. In this world, you take heart. I've overcome the world. This is not all there is. <coughs> Excuse me. So why did I just plead for us to have sound doctrine? How does, what does that have to do with enhancing the flourishing, of, uh, enhancing flourishing by serving our work world and people in need? Well, the, the question then is what becomes of outreach without doctrine? Right? Outreach is taking the treasure of the truth of God and making it known. It's about more than being liked. When Jesus saw his disciples, <coughs> and forgive my coughing, it's been like two, three weeks and it won't stop. Blah. When Jesus saw his disciples following him and their hearts were beginning to break because they were beginning to realize that part of the doctrine of salvation would involve the suffering of the Lord that they were following, Jesus gave them more doctrine. In John 16, we read about this, and he did it so that they wouldn't fall away. That's what the passage said. Jesus gives us doctrine so that we have a foundation underneath us, so that we can say, I'm testing the foundation on which I'm standing, and it holds. Why didn't he want them to fall away? He didn't want them to fall away because he wanted them to be his witnesses in the world. You bear this story out. You live this story. You go and bear fruit. How did he prepare them? He gave them this deposit of doctrine, which they guarded and they taught and they preserved in the form of scripture and which we then take into the world. But that's not all he gave them. He also gave them his Holy Spirit. And this is the necessary gift because doctrine is information. Doctrine is the network, the web, the, the, the way things fit together. The Holy Spirit, though, is the power. It's the power of our witness. He is the power of our witness. The indwelling Holy Spirit. John 16, 7, Jesus told his disciples, if I don't go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And in the Great Commission, we see what this helper, the Holy Spirit, is coming to help them do. The Holy Spirit is given to be the power behind our testimony. 
Jesus tells his disciples in Acts 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends (coughs) of the earth. (coughs) So along with sound doctrine, Jesus promised, I'll give you more than just information. I'll give you juice. I'll give you the power of the Holy Spirit who will work in and through you. What's beautiful about that is it means that when we are witnesses for Christ and we're taking the information out into the world and we're, and we're saying this is how salvation works, this is how God relates to his people, this is the mercy I've been shown, the grace that I trust in, and we're finding our way through and we're feeble and we're tripping over ourselves and we're feeling like, man, I don't know if anything I said was coherent at all to that person. The Lord is saying to us, don't you worry about that part. The Holy Spirit is the power at work in your witness. The Holy Spirit is the translator. As a preacher, this is one of the things, one of the realities that I um, embrace. And that is that I know, I, I may, you know, say I preach 40 times a year. And you're here in the room because you've took that first point seriously and you're here every Sunday. And you listen to all those sermons. I may ask you, Tell me 10 things I said in sermons this year. And most of us, myself included probably, would get to five maybe and think, can I get back to you on the other five? I know that when I preach a sermon, I've worked hard on the content. I've tried to organize it in a way that makes sense. And I know that we're, we're engaged and we're listening. I also know this though. Those moments when I've been in the room listening to sermons and the Holy Spirit has done his work in my heart that I remember standing out as being like pivotal eureka moments, most of those times were probably not the main point of the sermon. Most of those times were probably not when the preacher said something and I said, you just unlocked the mystery of the universe for me. Most of those times are when the preacher makes a throwaway comment or they say something that triggers a thought that has not a lot to do with what they said, but it helps me understand something else. And I have that moment of clarity and I say, oh, I didn't know that. And the preacher can't take any credit for that, right? And I take great comfort in that, actually, to be, tr- to be truthful, because it means that, look, I- I'm coming and I'm bringing doctrine and I'm trying to leave trail magic along the way, but I also know that the Lord is the one who is taking the message and he's applying it to the lives of individual people and he's doing it in the way that only he can do it. And I take so much comfort in that. He's the power behind the witness. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I bet you know this is true. But it's your own story, is that somebody said something and that triggered something else in my mind and heart that unlocked a mystery or helped me understand God better. But it's rarely, it's rarely the three points of the sermon, right? Jesus loves us like this. There's so much that we don't know about God. There's so much that we don't know about what he's doing in the world. Things that he just says, it's not yours to know, don't worry about that. Like when he's coming back. What he says is, I am coming back. It's enough for you to know that it's happening, regardless of whether you know when it's happening. And so we get the gift of the Holy Spirit, we get the precious gift of doctrine, and we're called then to be, what, witnesses. There's a difference between being an advocate for something and being a witness, right? An advocate for something, when we take the name of Christ out into the world, Jesus says, you're my witnesses, 
And I like to think of that as the image of the person who takes the stand in a courtroom, who's a witness. Because part of what they're doing is they're saying, the reason I'm here and the reason I'm being asked questions is because I have firsthand experience and knowledge of something. And so all, my, all I'm doing is I'm telling you about what I know. I'm telling you about what I've been through, what I've experienced, what I've seen. And so we're called to be witnesses for Christ and we're given doctrine and we're given the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have these things. We have truth and we have power. If all God gave us was doctrine, we would be advocates, Right? We would be people who would be imparting information the best that we can, maybe trying to persuade, but that's not what he calls us. He calls us witnesses. Advocates get their convictions from logic, from learning, from reason, from argument, from seeking to persuade others, and those are all good things. But witnesses are those who have been so powerfully moved by the reality of the living Christ, who has taken away their sin and filled them with with his Holy Spirit, that there's nothing more real to them than his presence that they have a relationship. When witnesses speak, they do so with the intensity of those who have tasted and seen truth firsthand. And so we're more than advocates. We're called to be witnesses whose testimony flows from what we know to be true as those who have experienced Christ. Which means part of being witnesses in the world is we're a little bit like trail angels. Right? As we understand that life works a certain way and there are certain stretches of the trail that are tough. And we want to help with that. We want to be a resource. We want to anticipate the struggles that other people are having and, and meet them there. And what we give them is power. And it's power from the Holy Spirit working through us. And so when we talk about what it means to be outward-facing Christians, Christians in public who are seeking to enhance flourishing by serving your work and your world and people in need, we're talking about living out our faith in every corner of our life on the foundation of sound doctrine and by the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work within us. And both of these things have been given. They've been given to us. And they're ours. And the whole point of this series has been to say that we are really at our most effective here when our lives are marked by the values that we've worked through in this series, when we're worshipers, we're people who are connected in community, we're people who are inviting others in, that we're viewing the places that we work and live and play as the context in which we bear witness to Christ. And the Lord is the one who is responsible for the outcome of that. But what he tells us is not, you can be my witnesses. He says, you will be. You will be. And he works through us. And thank God for that. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for uh, the gift of your word. I thank you for the great commission that you did not just give us information and tell us to just go think but that you told us to be witnesses, that, we, that you told us to be people who tell the truth about our encounter with you, about our relationship with you. And Lord, we, we can be so pragmatic sometimes in the way that we try to dissect what that means, the things we, we should necessarily say to somebody in order for it to count. Uh, Lord, deliver us from that kind of thinking and remind us of what is true, that you work 
um, and that you are at work in and through us and through the message that you call us to bear and the truth that we have been witnesses to. And we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your kindness. That's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.